So uh, as Zach said when he was stood up earlier on, he was listening to a sermon which was called Don't Be Asleep During an Awakening. I thought, what a great title for a sermon. I'm going to nick that. So um, that's what I'm going to preach about today. Don't be asleep during an awakening. What a great, what a great title. So I'm going to start. It's going to be two halves. The first half is about spiritual blindness and the second half is about being um, flowing in the things that God has for us during the time of an awakening. Uh, so first of all, if we look at um, Matthew 13 and verses 14 to 15, that's uh, Matthew 13 verses 14 to 15. It says, hearing you shall hear and by no means understand and seeing you shall see and by no means perceive. For the heart of this people has become thickened and their ears are hard of hearing and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their heart and turn back and I heal them. So I was kind of thinking and meditating on this passage a little bit this morning and, um, and thinking about you know, that word that I gave last week. And I don't know if, any, if anyone's been on YouTube and seen the, the comments that, that's, that's come up on that prophecy. No? There's some mixed, mixed ones. Some, you know, and everyone's obviously got a valid opinion. Um, but one of the things that, that, that I saw, which I thought was really interesting, was um, you have... So... Christians that believe in end times theology, that believe that we're right up to the end of time now, which is fine. Um, but what I see is that we can actually make ourselves blind to what God is saying by sometimes our own theology. That God could be speaking to us, but because we're so closed in. Now, theology is good and it's useful, but if it's not quite right or quite in alignment, um, it can lead us into trouble. And uh, so I was meditating this morning, hearing you shall hear and by no means understand, seeing you shall see and by no means perceive. So people, there are a lot of people out there that are seeing what's going on in the world right now and they're saying, yes, we believe this, this, this seems to match the book of Revelation. This is this and this is that. They're seeing, but they're not seeing. And they're hearing, but they're not hearing. And an example of this will be, so for example, I'm not, this is not a criticism, this is just an observation. So if, if for example, you're pre-tribulate, and I'm sorry if, if I'm using jargon that some of you don't hear, don't understand, just, just roll with it for a minute. So if some, if some people are pre-trib in their theology, one of the things that I often see pre-tribbers do is that they use mid-trib to end-trib passages of scripture, bring it into the now, and say, look, see this, we're in the end of days. And it's like, well, if that's true, then why are you still here? Because you shouldn't even be here, because you should be gone. You're pre-tribber. Out you go, woof, up you go. You shouldn't even be here. Um, for example, a couple of years ago, the Euphrates River had dried up. And so everyone was like on the bank, oh my gosh, this is Revelation 19 or 18, whatever it is. And, and this is like the, the leading to the Battle of Armageddon. But it's like, yeah, that is going to happen, but that happens at the end of the seven-year tribulation, and, and that's the final battle of Armageddon. There's another one as well. It happens after the millennial reign of Christ, but this is this final battle. So, so that can't possibly be now. 
Because there's no temple, there's no antichrist, there's no miracle worker, there's no mark of the beast. And people go, oh yes, but that could be the mark of the beast. It can't be the mark of the beast because the mark of the beast doesn't happen till halfway through the great tribulation. And are Christians all over the world having their heads chopped off? Is there a third temple in Jerusalem? Is the antichrist got his statue and image of abomination of desolation in that place? Is these things even happen and they're even real at the moment? Nothing. So consequently, if you have that mindset, when the Spirit of God is speaking to the churches, we might not hear because our theology has closed us to hearing what the Spirit might be saying. Even interestingly in the book of Revelation, quite often you hear those words, hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And so in some respects, we've got to be careful that that we don't stop hearing God because of maybe slightly out of whack theology. It's good theology, but they've got things wrong with their timing, etc. And of course that leads to, um, well, they say, was it bad orthodoxy leads to bad orthopraxy. That's bad teaching can, or incorrect teaching can lead to bad practice. Another criticism I often get is like, where in the Bible does it say there will be a great end time revival? That's a good question, is it? It's a fair enough question. So the answer is simple. It's in Joel 2, 28. In the last days, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh before the what? The great and terrible day of the Lord, i.e. the end of the world. Okay, so we know that God is going to pour out his spirit again. And what people say is like, yes, but it says in the end of times, there'll be a great falling away. Well, hello. There's revival going on in the eastern block of the world right now, while the church in the west is falling away. Doesn't mean it can only be one or the other. That's very Greek thinking, isn't it? I'll put it in that box. It's either black or it's either white. You can have two things going on at the same time. You can have a falling away and you can have an outpouring of the spirit exactly at the same time. Hmm, never thought of that. So, oh look, look at that Trish, thank you, it works. This is uh, Trish who was singing, look at that, great little idea. She sees things that we don't see, so she's great. And she's a bargain hunter, man. If you want a bargain, speak to Trish. She'll get you a good deal. <laughs> Hallelujah. So sometimes we can be asleep during a time of a, of a coming awakening just simply because we don't quite have our theology right. And there's, there's loads of examples of this we could go into, but we don't have time. Because it says here, for the heart of this people has become thickened and their ears are hard of hearing and their eyes have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their heart and turn back and I heal them. I believe we're right on the cusp of something wonderful that God is going to do. And I have no problems with the fact that things in the world are going to get more and more difficult. But at the same time, I am completely convinced that God is going to move powerfully in these days. And so don't be asleep during an awakening. So I was thinking about this as, as the worship was going on, I was just kind of meditating on, on, uh, you know, on some stuff and thinking, Lord, what are you saying? What do you want to say today? And I've got a couple of scriptures here. So if you uh, turn with me, first of all, to Leviticus 24, verse 2. Um, no, that's not right. 
I thought I googled it. Anyway, that's not right. That's something completely different. Uh, I'm, I know I'm looking in the wrong book. That's why um, I'm looking in Deuteronomy. Mm. Thank you. Wake up. Nice one. <laughs> I like you. She's a woman of great wit. Okay. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, command the people of Israel to bring you pure oil of beaten olives for the lamp, that a light may be kept burning continually. Aaron shall set it up in the tent of meeting outside the curtain of the covenant to burn from evening to morning before the Lord regularly. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. He shall set up the lamps on the lampstand of pure gold before the Lord regularly or continually. Now, every time I've read this scripture, it, it speaks to me on a really deep level because it speaks to me about, um, you know, God is saying, well, it's, it's so many different layers that we could go into here. You know, it's all about the Holy Spirit and the seven churches and all these kind of things. But there's so much beautiful stuff in here. But the thing that I get all the time is that it's the responsibility of the priests to keep the, lit, the lamp lit continually. It's, and we are priests unto God of the order of Melchizedek. And it's our responsibility to keep those lamps lit continually with the oil of the Spirit in our lives. So let's look at a quick New Testament verse just to back this up as well. So we're going to go to jump across to Luke chapter 12, verse 35. And it says, be dressed for action and have your lamps lit. It's always being in a place of readiness. We know about the story of the, of the virgins, the, the wise virgins and the foolish virgins, the ones that had enough oil for their lamps and those that didn't. And there's a whole plethora of different interpretations and meanings to that. But basically, what I feel the Spirit is saying today is that he wants his church to get ready and to be carriers of his oil. To be pots of oil that can be poured out because we are vessels made of clay but within us we can contain the glory of God within us we have the Spirit of God you know we are called Christians the word Christ comes from the isn't it uh, a direct is a direct what the words uh, from the Greek which is to the Hebrew which is the Greek word Mashiach which means Messiah means anointed one anointed with what anointed with the oil so the chrism which was the oil that showed that he was anointed to be the priest or anointed to be a king or anointed to be a prophet etc okay so Jesus is the anointed one he is the anointed high priest he is the anointed prophet of God and he is the anointed king but we are Christians, which means we are like little anointed ones. We are followers of the way and we are followers of Christ. And we have that same anointing on us. Do I get an amen? You might say, where's, where's that in the Bible then? So if you turn with me to 1 John. Oh, it's right at the end of the, right near the, end of the Bible. So uh, 1 John. Chapter 2. And from verse 20. It says, But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and all of you have knowledge. And if I say, go down to verse 27. As for you, the anointing that you receive from him abides in you. And so you do not need anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has been taught you, abide in him. So here we have the anointing of God upon us. 
And this anointing uh, can lead us into all truth as well, which is good. But remember, it's a process. No one wakes up one day having instantly been born again, understanding all the revelation and all the mysteries of the scriptures. There's a process. It's called discipleship, going from one degree of glory to another. And that's how God has designed it. Just like babies, they're born, right? They don't know much, do they? They don't know how to turn a computer on. Well, probably my kids did when they were born, but they don't know how to turn a, turn a computer on. They don't know anything like that. They don't know about the syntax of language. It takes time. And it's the same with someone who gets born again. It takes time to learn things. And you make mistakes. You make mistakes in your language. You make mistakes by walking and stuff. And it's the same with as we come to this growing truth of Scripture. Sometimes you get things wrong. Sometimes we get things out of whack. But in time, if we're walking with God, our theology gets better and better. And we come to, we come to know God more and more and more. But we have this anointing and we are a people that need to be awakened these days. You know, we are people that need to be, I keep saying this, but we need to be an answer to the people out there. As a church, we can't be caught unawares. We can't be, when these things start to happen, you know, with later on this year, with things with the economy and stuff, we can't be the ones going, well, I didn't know it was going to happen. Did you see it coming? I, I didn't see it coming. Everybody sees it coming. You just switch on BBC News. I don't care what you think of the BBC News, but you can see troubles coming. I mean, you don't have to be a prophet. You don't need to be an intelligent man or woman. You can see troubles coming. Isn't that right? I mean, I, I know people who are not Christians have got, forgive me for saying this, but got more awareness of what's going on in the world than the church has, which is ridiculous. We should be the ones that are ahead of the curve. We should know what's coming. We should be there. And so God is speaking to his church this hour saying, wake up, my beautiful one. Wake up, my bride. Open your eyes. Wake up. Oh, sleeper. Wake up. And be the answer to the problem because no one else will have the answers. No politician, no king, no queen, nobody will have the answers in the times that we're coming into. Only the church. Only the church. Only us. There's no one in the universe that can do what's coming. Only the church. We have an opportunity. I remember Tracy listening to this podcast the other day, and this woman said some really interesting things. She said the time that we're coming into, um, and she, she's, you know, she's not what I'd call prophetic or anything. She was just witnessing what's going on in the world. And she was saying, where, where mankind has removed all of the boundaries now, there are no boundaries. You can do what you like, be what you like, say what you want to be, all that kind of stuff. All the borders, all the barriers are gone. And she said, this actually is the first time probably in modern history that the church can now wipe the slate clean and start afresh by shaping and changing culture. We've never had this opportunity before. For the last, I don't know, 30, 40 years, we want to look like the world. You know, we have, and this is not a criticism, I, I hope it's not, but so we've had the churches with the smoke machines and the music and stuff, and, and you know, wow, we're so awesome, we're so cool looking, come and join us, because we're so cool looking. But actually, we should be countercultural. Actually, we should have a message that's different from the world. We should look different from the world. I remember speaking to a guy once, and he, he came into this building and said, oh, I'm so glad this building doesn't look like a religious building, you know, with the stained glass windows and, and the cross and all that kind of thing. Well, he, did, well, he didn't see that. And the cross and stuff all over the place. And I, and I said to him, I said, actually, I, tend to, I disagree with you. I said, because when the church took away those images, she instead, she filled them with something else. She took the other cultural icons like smoke machines and lights and stuff like that and put that in the church to give us an experience of what it must feel like with the presence of God. 
Whereas before, when we had religious, not I'm promoting or not promoting, but religious iconography was there to help people to think about and meditate on the wonders of God. That's why stained glass window was there, because people couldn't read. So they looked at the mysteries of the gospel on stained glass and it helped to take them through the stories of the Bible so they would learn. They used to have lots of art and paintings and stuff. And this, is, this is why they're there. Um, if you do any, any research on church history, you'll understand why these buildings were made in the way that they were. It was to honour God and it was to show things about the scriptures that the, the uneducated wouldn't necessarily know. God wants to use the church to take cultural icons back to him. You know what? He wants his rainbow back. He wants, he wants his cross back. And he wants Christians to start changing culture again. You know, it was the Christians that started hospitals. It was monks, actually, that started hospitals because they were known as places or hospices or hospitality and they cared for the sick, etc. That's where hospitals came from. It was Christians that developed um, building societies to help people get out of debt. It was Christians that stopped trial, child trafficking and child labour through people like the Salvation Army, etc., that changed laws and forced laws to be changed. Uh, you know, and there's various things throughout history. It was Christians that stopped slavery. It wasn't the humanists, it wasn't the secularists. They were quite happy with the wealth that was coming in from the slave trade, thank you very much. It was the Christians. We have an opportunity now where everything is gone to the wind. The church in this hour, instead of joining the wind and being blown around with every wind of doctrine that comes and goes, we have an opportunity now to stand. And we have an opportunity now to start saying, no, this biblically is what a man is. This, biblically, is what a woman is. You know, when the Church of England couldn't, after months and months and months of the General Synod, they finally said, we can't define what a woman is. What a letdown. What a travesty that the church holds the keys of heaven and that we've been given these keys and the church cannot speak up against injustice. The church cannot speak up against those things that are wrong and profane, but the church stays silent. We have an opportunity to be a voice in a place where there is a void of truth. There is a famine right now, a famine for the word of God. It's so hard. I remember reading in books where in the 70s, it was so hard to go and find a church where someone would even speak in tongues. Right? But now that's common as, as anywhere. Nowadays, a lot of people say it's hard to find a church where, where you get good teaching. And loads of people say it. It's, it's all over the country. It's endemic. But God wants to do something awesome. And God's going to get his church back. And he's going to get his house in order. How do we be a people full of the oil of God? Well, let's have a look, shall we? So turn me to Ephesians chapter 5. So it says uh, from verse 18, do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, 
but be filled with the Spirit. Now, you don't really see this in the English, but in the Greek, it's a present tense. It means to be constantly filled with the Spirit. Okay, this isn't in the once in 1990 and I got filled with the Spirit. This is like, you need to be filled with the Spirit every single day. But the question is, well, how do I do that? How do I, you know, I can't go to like a, a charismatic Pentecostal meeting and someone pray for me to get filled with the Spirit every, 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 every day. So, so what is it that I do? So, okay, Paul gives you the answer. If you move on, where am I? Um, so verse 18. So he says, do not get drunk on wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual song among yourselves, singing and making melody to the Lord in your hearts. So the first thing you can do to get that oil flowing in your life is get some praise and worship. I know this is all kindergarten stuff, but we all so often forget it. You know, I'm, I'm, please don't tell anybody I'm, I'm doing this. Oh, I got a Graham Kendrick CD in my car. I'm, like, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Look, that man folded his arms. He's not happy. Okay, so. <laughs> All right. So I, I was brought up in prog rock by my dad. So for me to listen to tame worship music has always been quite painful, but I'm really starting to enjoy it. Okay, maybe it's my age. I, I hit 50 and like, where's that Graham Kendrick album? So, sorry. I do like Graham Kendrick. I think he's a great guy. But, but worship is a really key component to being filled with the Spirit. You know, as we, were, as we were singing today, as Zach was encouraging us to do, you know, let's get that oil flowing. Let's get it flowing. And it comes through the place of worship. God inhabits the praises of his people. In other words, his presence begins to manifest. If you say, I don't feel the presence of God much in my life, well, just get on and praise, praise God. It doesn't take long for his presence manifests. Hallelujah. And I believe wholeheartedly. Now, some Christians don't agree with this, like, this whole presence of God stuff, that's not important. But actually, as Christians, we can feel the tangible presence of God. You know, and it's a gift from God. It's a grace. You're not going to get it all the time. But when he does it, it's a precious grace. And we should be thankful for it when his presence is with us. And it goes on to say, giving thanks to God the Father at all times and for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So when you drop a plate on your foot, instead of saying something you shouldn't say, you go, thank you, Jesus! <laughs> Hallelujah. But when we, when we come into that place of thankfulness and gratefulness, it just fills us with the joy of the Lord, that oil of joy. It's the things of the Spirit of God. And it's, it's learning to develop this habitual presence of God. Now, when I was younger... I would come into a place where, you know, sometimes in the week I would feel the presence of God in my life. Sometimes, but not always. And you'd get those, those situations where, you know, sometimes you're in a situation, someone tells you, hey, tell me about God. And you just feel dry as an old worn up pine knot on a hot summer's day. Like, okay, that's how I used to be. But now, just over the years, just growing in the things of God and just applying these basic principles of prayer and worship and even fasting, sorry, uh, a bit of fasting and giving thanks to God in all circumstances and meditating on his word. I've got myself to a place in my own faith where I'm always aware, pretty much, no, not always, but 90% of the time, I'm always aware of the presence of God over me. And it's nice because it means now I don't get into those situations where, I, I mean, you know, if you do feel dry, you just got to speak by faith. But I don't get those situations anymore where I just don't feel like I can do something. I remember a long time ago, some uh, guy prayed over me when I was at youth group years ago. And he said to me, uh, he said, I just feel God saying to you that you're going to be like a, uh, like a pot of oil and you'll always be pouring out. He said, but there'll come days where you just feel like you've got nothing left to give 
He said, but like that widow, just keep pouring and more oil will come. And so that's another wonderful thing as well. If we get ourselves into the place where our pot is always running over with the things of God, and yeah, there'll be times where you do get a little bit dry, but when you come to that place, that the miracle happens when the pot pours, the oil just keeps flowing and flowing and flowing and flowing and flowing. Hallelujah. Amen. And that oil has the power to break bondage. That, that widow of Zarephath, when, I think it's her, when she poured the oil, what, what bondage did it break for her? Debt. Poverty. Okay. Exactly. Death. So I'm not, I'm not going down, don't think I'm going, oh yeah, it's like the oil's there so you to get rich. I'm not talking about that. But I'm saying the oil, the God's anointing, can break the yoke and burden over our lives, like the, the, the yoke of debt and also the spiritual poverty and spiritual debt that we can get ourselves into. And, uh, and the spiritual death and depression and things. The, the anointing and the oil of joy can break those things in our lives. And I've, I've always been always trying to live my life developing this habitual present practice of the presence of God so that I'm always aware that God is there sometimes I feel that he's there sometimes I just know by faith that he's there but I try to live in this place of continually the Lord is with me my God will never fail me and he will never forsake me you should try it I expect a lot of you do but just try start living in that place why am I saying all this because I, I believe the church needs to be ready and part of that readiness is not just about, oh, yeah, yeah, we've got all our supplies here, Margs, and we're, like, we're, we're okay, we've got everything we need, let's bunker down and wait for the end of the world. That, that, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking that the church be ready in the sense that we have the oil of the Spirit inside us, that we can show the world the love and the kindness and the compassion of God and show them the power of God as well. That people will come in contact with the tangible God. But how are they going to come in contact with the living God? Through us. They're not going to see it any other way unless God does something graciously like, like the Apostle Paul where he appears to him in a, you know, in a blinding light. That is very rare. But actually the onus and the mission of the church is to take Christ out to the nations. And when we're taking Christ out, we're not just taking this cold gospel message. You're taking Christ out to the nations. You're physically, literally carrying bearers of Christ and taking him out to the world. And that's in love and that's in compassion and it's also in power as well. Hallelujah. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto us. Hallelujah. I might, my first encounter really with the Holy Spirit in a beautiful way was through, she's at the back there, Sandra Goodman. Here's a wave, Sandra. Hello. Many years ago, again, this was before I was married and I was, I was a young guy, and uh, we were, there was some evangelism course that was going at um, Oasis Church in Portsmouth. And I remember at, like, it was lunchtime, there was a couple of us in the room, and uh, Sandra was on the far end of the room, and I was on the other end of the room. And uh, so it was just me and her in this room. And she was praying. And, I, and I'd never experienced this before, because at that time I was an Anglican. And um, nothing wrong with that, I was just, that's what I was. And, and, I, and I saw her praying. But the presence of God was tangible. And I was like, I've never experienced that before. What, what is this? Why, how is she doing that? How, how is it that she's praying and the presence of God is manifesting when she's praying? She was just like, oh, Jesus. She was just enjoying Jesus. And so at some point of the day, I came up to her and I said, oh, um, you know, I heard you praying. and I really felt the presence of God. And, uh, and then she's like, well, where do you live? I said, Pharaoh. 
Come home with me, son, and I'll show you a thing or two. She gets out this big box with all these cassettes, with like all of these spiritual greats, you know, throughout history. And she said, listen to this guy, listen to them, listen to this person, listen to that person. And it just turned me from a mild-mannered little Anglican into a Holy Ghost-filled boy of God. Hallelujah. And it just changed <laughs> It just changed me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It just changed me. I'm not downplaying Anglicanism. I love Anglicans. I've got lots of good Anglican friends and they're a great church. But uh, it's, for me, it just changed my life when I encountered someone who had the Spirit of God in them. And you guys have got the Spirit of God in you. So you can go out and change people's lives. You might think, well, I, how can I make a difference? Well, Sandra was just in a room just praying while I was eating a, eating a bag of sandwiches. But I sensed the presence of God. And in these days, this is the thing that the world needs. They don't want your apologetics. They don't want your clever answers. They want to see the power of God manifest in your life. And they want to, they want to see and know the tangible, real God. He's not some theological, deific being that's way out there somewhere. But he's here right now amongst his people, living amidst his people. And I'll close with this scripture here from 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 6. And this is from verse 16. And it says, I will live in them and walk among them. This is talking about the people of God. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore come out from them and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch nothing unclean. Then I will welcome you and be your father. I shall be, and uh, you shall be many sons and daughters, says the Lord. God is in the midst of the camp. God is in the midst of his people and we are sanctuaries of the living God. We are God bearers. We have Christ inside of us and he's given us his blessed Holy Spirit. Now remember what Jesus said in the book of Acts. He said to the disciples, wait in Jerusalem and tarry here until you're endued with power from on high. You can't effectively do the things that God wants you to do in respect to these sort of power things with, with no Holy Spirit in you. Now, some people get funny about this. Oh, well, no, no, you're, you're baptised in the Spirit the moment you get saved. No, that's not true. You are sealed in the Spirit the moment you get saved. But if you read the book of Acts, there's, t there's a few instances where Paul or someone went somewhere, Peter, for example, and it says these brothers, they received the word of the Lord. They've been baptised into Jesus, but as of yet had not received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then Peter prays for them. Then they get the Holy Spirit. So being baptised in the Spirit is not necessarily guaranteed at the moment of being born again. It comes at the moment you get sealed with the Spirit. So there is a separate thing. And I know a lot of people don't like, like it when we say that, but it's just a fact. Read the book of Acts. It's there. We're not making it up. But God wants his church in these days to be a people of love and a people of compassion and a people of power so that we can be God's instruments for this hour. Amen. Amen.